Welcome to another edition of the Membership World podcast. My name is Gordon Glenister and I'm the founder of Membership World. This edition is sponsored by our friends at RD Mobile, the complete membership events engagement platform. I'll be interviewing CEOs from the trade association and professional bodies sector. They'll be bringing insights and their personal stories with loads of takeaways. But before we get started, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast just to make sure that you don't miss a future episode. Now, in today's edition, I'm going to be talking with Chris Jones, who's the CEO of England Athletics. England Athletics has thousands of members, but generates most of its income from licensed runs, championship events, conferences, and a whole lot more. With large gatherings banned for much of the last 12 months, how did such an organisation manage? Chris talks about some amazing initiatives that were created over the last year, and he started by telling me a little bit more about the organisation. So we're a grassroots organisation. We're a membership and development body operating in schools, communities and our clubs across England. We're very much about broadening our participation base, getting people into the sport of athletics and running for the first time, keeping them there, providing a great experience, and then hopefully identifying some talented athletes from the ages of kind of 14, 15 upwards, who will funnel into our talent pathway, compete for England, but of course compete for Great Britain and Northern Ireland at the Olympic, Paralympic, World and European Championships. Our kind of ceiling is Commonwealth Games. And of course, we've got a home Commonwealth Games next year in Birmingham during 2022, which we're really excited about. But our membership reaches in a normal year, and we'll no doubt cover what the last 12 months has looked like during this interview. But During a normal year, we're around 190,000 members, registered athletes in 1,800 clubs and member bodies. We also have a social running program, which has 150,000 registered runners in 2,800 leader-led running groups. We train the leaders, qualify and ensure the leaders, and they run social running groups. And hopefully we can feed some of those social runners who are unattached, many of them from clubs into clubs and it's a win-win situation. We also provide a schools, clubs and communities program for four to 11 year olds called Phonetics, which is a run, jump, throw physical literacy program endorsed by Katerina Johnson-Thompson, who came through our own talent pathway from grassroots now to podium and Usain Bolt, great Usain Bolt. So we're um, a big sport in participation terms. There are roughly 7 million people that run monthly and 6 million people that run weekly in this country. That's outside of our membership reach. So our challenge is, of course, with a smallish resource of only 46 members of staff covering the whole of England and a relatively small turnover. We're a kind of medium-sized governing body of sport. There are around 50 governing bodies of sport that uh, exist in England. We're a lot smaller than organisations like the England and Wales Cricket Board, the Rugby Football Union, the LTA and the FA, and perhaps bigger than some. So we're in that middle layer. But we're very lucky to work in a sport like athletics and running. We have a great army, if you like, of volunteers that really make our sport happen, be impossible to drive our sport forward and achieve what the sport does achieve without the work of our volunteers, particularly in our member clubs. There are different types of, of membership fees, presumably, for clubs and individuals. Is that right? Well, we're pretty much a flat fee structured organisation just to keep it as easy as possible. Our member clubs are of various different type, size, scale, geography. 
urban, rural. So we charge our member clubs and bodies £150 a year. For that, they get their insurance and to support their officers, their volunteers, and of course, the events that they will put on. And then athletes register direct with England Athletics, as they do in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, because there are separate athletics bodies there, and they pay £15 a head. So it's flat. And we've got a membership, as I say, in a normal year of 190,000 from the ages of five up to late 80s, early 90s, because it really is a sport for everyone and a lifelong lifestyle choice, if you like, for many as well, given the breadth and appeal of athletics and running. It's amazing to see how many people in this country run. I'm guessing over the last uh, 12 months, have more people taken it up? Certain activities have, have really kind of benefited, if you can use that word, during the last 12 months. It will be interesting to see if those habits become ingrained over a longer term. Mm. I'm a team sport man as well in my leisure time. My son plays rugby union. I play some cricket and I'm involved with one or two other sports that are kind of team invasion based versus individual sports. And I think given that a number of team sports haven't been able to operate as they normally would, people have also suffered because gyms, fitness centres, indoor facilities have closed. People have said, well, what can I do in my own environment to keep myself active? And running, of course, lends itself because you can do it on your own or do it socially distanced with other people. And of course, our Run Together group is a good example of where we encourage people to run safely with other people. And that provides that camaraderie and that social experience because we're all tactile, of course, and we're all longing to get back to some sort of normality. But also, we've been able to provide resources to people to keep active at home, doing their own individual running, jumping, throwing, their strength conditioning, core work, because, of course, athletics and running is, as I say, a foundation sport, a sport rooted in physical literacy. So I think the flexibility that individual sports like athletics and running, cycling, those sports have really kind of grown in popularity. But whether people will now migrate back to their core team activities, time will tell. Mm. So, I mean, presumably then, like all organisations and membership bodies, you know, the last 12 months have, have been challenging um, I'm guessing, particularly when it comes to competitions and things like that. What's that been like to run an organisation during a pandemic? Well, when lockdown kicked in for the first time, 16th of March, we were approaching our new membership year. So it was the worst time it could have possibly happened for a body like ourselves. Mm. Uh, and I know a number of other membership bodies were affected in the same way, start the financial year. So we had to cancel a number of scheduled activities, particularly outdoor competitions, conferences, forums that we would organise, some of our talent programmes. And if there was something that we've learned that's been a positive over the last 12 months, it was the importance of digital. We invested in a digital strategy three years ago. We've developed some bespoke systems that have enabled us to blend our offer, if you like, between face-to-face -face delivery and digital delivery and as they say, content is king. So from the 16th of March, we spent an inordinate amount of time in a short space of time converting some content to online, but really going into overdrive. That was really tough for people. But also there was a kind of external facing communication role we had to play to support our volunteer led member clubs who were facing their own challenges at a local level to manage their activities. So we have suffered a, a decrease in membership income over the last 12 months. We're running about 75% of our normal income in a normal given year. That's a better result than we thought it would be. 
we budgeted for around 60%, but we've realized a 75% year-end position. We think partly that was because at the back end of the summer, we were able to bring some adapted competitions back, going back to that point around our abilities in individual sport to bring back some activity perhaps quicker than other sports. So we licensed 300 track and field competitions for around 40,000 participants. And we also licensed 300 road races for around 60,000 participants. Far smaller if you think that normally in a given year we would license 4,000 road races. We only licensed 300. So again, an income drop there. So we were able to bring the sport back, which I think contributed towards a gradual increase in fees to us because our membership is aligned to insurance competition and various other benefits. But the other thing I think that we were able to do was convert a lot of our content, as I said, to digital, provide meaningful content, meaningful engagement, and work more efficiently, if you like, to service provide. Uh, So we found out that we can engage with far more people by holding one online forum, webinar, or conference than actually booking a venue at a central location where people have to travel long distances uh, and the cost that's involved with that. So we, rather than have a club development officer going around a given geographical patch, seeing four or five clubs in four or five days, you can get 500 clubs on one evening. And so we were able to go into overdrive in that respect, which I think provided value to our members, which would have helped and supported them during difficult times, networking, volunteers with each other. That's really interesting because that has been mirrored by many, many other associations. Uh, The one-to-many opportunity has been, um, you know, people were saying to me that AGMs are getting 100% attendance. People running regional events are more widely uh, turning up because for the reasons that you've just identified, they don't have to travel. And it's made people feel uh, definitely connected to their own tribe, if you will. The other thing that that has grown a lot has been education. And uh, I wondered how you have um, been able to distill that through through online. So we would normally deliver face-to-face education, and it would be the traditional way of booking a location again, hiring a couple of tutors in a classroom with some practical activity. But what we've done is working with our partners, UK Athletics, who oversee the licensing process for coaching and officials across the UK, we've been able to convert a lot of that online so we can deliver courses now, qualifications, without the need for a face-to-face assessment in some respects, online, which has got more people into the system and actually has helped us in our financial situation to generate more income, but also get more people through their qualifications. And that's really important for us as a volunteer-led sport, largely, where you need bodies on the ground to work to attract new participants, keep new participants and support talent. So that's here to stay. Absolutely. Online education is not for everyone. Some people would feel more comfortable being in a face-to-face environment, feel they would learn through that interactive experience in a more informed way. But now we can blend that offer and that's here to stay. There's no doubt about that. This blended offer is here to stay. And I think Most organisations, I think, would look back if they're honest and say, how efficient were we in the way that we worked prior to COVID-19? And what are the learnings that we can now take that will be mainstreamed into our kind of day-to-day delivery? And there are some positives that come out of it from a business sense amongst all the, well, the many downsides that uh, we've all experienced over the last 12 months. That's fascinating stuff. And we're going to take a quick break now and we'll hear more from Chris in just a moment. 
This podcast is sponsored by RD Mobile, providing events and member engagement solutions used by organizations worldwide. RD Mobile can help your organization deliver value at your next virtual or in-person event and throughout the year. Visit us at rdmobile.com to learn more. Welcome back. My guest today is Chris Jones, who's the CEO of England Athletics. Um, And I wanted to ask you, Chris, how professional bodies like yours have managed when it comes to engaging your members? Now, of course, online has played a big part of that. But um, have there been any other things that have surprised you, even maybe social media being one of them? Well, our social media traction has absolutely increased based on meaningful content. But also, it's not just about us as an organisation. All our members have social media presence and produce great content as well. So I think the advent of people sharing, supporting, collaborating, being more collegiate during this time has has really gone up. We've seen the best of people, I think, during this period. Of course, in some instances, as documented in some of the media, we've seen the worst, sadly, as well, particularly when it comes to usage of social media and some of the irresponsible conduct that we've all felt has pervaded at various stages. I think through adversity... You learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about each other. And I think we've all struggled in different ways during this last 12 months, particularly mental health and well-being has become even sharper in focus. It's such an important issue. It's something that I feel very passionate about. I've suffered myself with my own mental health since I was very young, but certainly over the last 12 months, probably more so in kind of isolation, this daily routine, this kind of groundhog experience of doing the same thing and being kind of institutionalized in your own physical bubble here working at home. And all our staff are working at home, as many other organizations are. So I think generally, this adversity has brought people closer together and people have been supportive of one another. So that's not one instance. That's a kind of 12-month rolling experience. I do think some of the work that we had to lead on producing guidance to our sport when we were able to return in different forms involving the volunteers, working alongside us as an organisation brought us very closer together and perhaps improved or enhanced their view of us, maybe not universally, but it certainly created a mutual understanding and certainly for most of the volunteers, a lot of respect in terms of how volunteers were wrestling with the challenges they were facing. So when we were able to bring back some competitions, we had some trailblazing volunteers in several locations across the country who worked their socks off really to galvanize their volunteer workforces in their communities to use the guidance and bring back some events and we learned a lot from them those test events to then be able to roll those out across the country so that kind of collaboration is something that I will remember from this experience let's hope that the roadmap continues in the right direction and I think that would have brought everyone closer together I think it's brought us closer together but always more work to be done um, it's interesting you say that because um, th- there is an like, example when you're in a, a tribe such as athletics that you're in it together. You know, you're, 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 everybody wants an outcome, which is to be running, and be running at sort of competitive level. So I think you're absolutely right in the way that uh, people through adversity have, have come together. Um, I just wondered if do you have a sort of mentoring program at all or are there any thoughts around that? Uh, uh, you know, actually supporting members. You knew you were mentioning mental health a few minutes ago. 
um, because that has definitely uh, is, has come up with uh, conversations that I've had um, that, uh, you know, allows people to be connected. And that may well be through some of the volunteers that you've mentioned. Yeah, so externally, we coordinate some national campaigns, some marketing campaigns, some call to actions, if you like, one of which is around mental health and wellbeing. We have an annual campaign called Hashtag Run and Talk, which is aligned to Mental Health Week. So we have over a thousand mental health volunteer champions in clubs and groups across England that work as part of that campaign to champion mental health and well-being and a safe space for people to talk within those environments, somewhere to go to. And also we promote running as being a good tool to prevent or deal with mental health, anxiety, well-being issues. We're very proud of that program. And it's again, it's it's a movement. It's creating a movement. We're a membership organisation, but creating this community and this movement where we all feel as one, if you like, part of one movement. So that's something we're really proud of. Internally, we've trained all our staff in mental health awareness. We have mental health first aiders across each department. And we've also implemented a couple of other additional things to support our staff, one of which is we give time out for people if they want time to look after their mental health and well-being. We give additional days leave that is discretionary to the individual whether they take that. And as part of their annual objective setting process, we actually call ours our personal objectives and growth plan. We don't go through a performance development review so it feels more like a stick. This is very much about the individual and their holistic development. And as part of that, we've integrated Minds Wellbeing Action Plans to that process, which we think is really important. So that provides a basis for conversation for the manager and the employee to discuss mental health and well-being if that individual is happy to do that. The final thing we've done as an organisation is internally with our staff is we've introduced something called Friday Pulse, which essentially will now give us a barometer, a measure of well-being across the organisation. And I think we're the first sporting organisation to do that, sporting governing body to do that. Most organisations will have their management dashboards that their board of directors or trustees will look at from time to time to ascertain whether the organisation is moving in the right direction, financially, operationally. But actually, wouldn't it be powerful for a board of directors or trustees to be able to see what the culture of the organisation is looking like, how people are feeling? And then you can correlate the two and you can have more meaningful discussions and take more meaningful decisions based around that information. So we've introduced that as well. So our board of directors will be looking at that on a regular basis. It's um, a weekly survey, if you like, that will tell you how people are feeling and give you an opportunity to congratulate people through the functionality of the survey tool and learn more about people's hobbies, their lifestyles. And then the following week, you have a team meeting and a debrief on what's happening. And it's fascinating. You find out People are huge Bruce Springsteen fans that you didn't know about or have a pizza making hobby that you didn't know about. And it's a basis for conversation. And how often is that so important when you want to talk about work stuff, but ultimately you need an icebreaker. You need to be able to relate to people first and foremost. The other thing that I must mention on the theme of mental health and well-being and supporting people is we're running a series of Let's Talk Mental Health webinars as an organisation for our sport. And the first one is runner, mental health advocate and fundraiser Ben Smith, who speaks passionately about his struggles with mental health and his well-being. We've also got for Olympian Jack Green, 
inspirational now coach but still a fantastic athlete if he wanted to still compete competing in olympics worlds europeans commonwealth games he's doing a webinar and then we've got other guest speakers during the year i think it's really incumbent on us as membership organizations and as national organizations to lead in this respect absolutely yeah to, to create a, a safe space if you like for people to say it's okay not to be okay as I say, I've had my challenges. I believe that it's right that leaders speak openly about this issue as well, because there will be other people in the organisation who will be struggling, who feel that they can't talk about this stuff. And I think creating a safe space internally and externally is so important. Well, I would just to your last point, I would say more so, because if a leader expresses instances where they too have suffered, um, because there is this sense of people don't know that they think if they say something, it's going to be a, a stain on their character or people are going to think that they're not being able to cope with the, the job in hand. And uh, you're right, it is OK to be OK, uh, no, not OK, rather. Um, so I, I actually think that's amazing. And, and well done you for, do, put, for putting in place all of those uh, fantastic uh, events um, and uh, act- activations. They're brilliant. So I guess lastly is... What's the future look like for um, the sport and England athletics? Well, I'll conclude where I started, I guess, is that I'm feeling really optimistic about the future. On the 29th of March, we were able to bring back training and competition. So we've already licensed over 50 track and field competitions to take place during the back end of April, early May onwards. We should have a relatively touch wood, normal domestic season. Of course, we're going to need to react to any changes along the way, but we've proven during 2020 that as a sport together, we can do that. I'm really excited about the return to road racing. I mentioned earlier, you know, normally we would license 4,000 road races organised by commercial, charitable, public and private organisations for many, many, many thousands of people, including the big events, London Marathon, which takes place in October, being one of those But of course, that was disrupted significantly last year. But road races can make a progressive return now in this next month or two, small races, because most of the bigger races take place later in the year. But those events are so important, not just in terms of promoting participation and being a breeding ground for participants that then would enjoy a lifelong experience in our sport, we hope, as perhaps a member of a club, a group, or as a park runner with whom we work really closely as an organisation but also because of the inordinate amount of money that is raised for good causes through road racing. I think it's something that we should be all very, very proud of as a nation, that we, as a sporting community, put on brilliant events. And I hope that sometime very soon, maybe it's June the 21st, where you know, we get back to some sort of normal situation, that spectators and fans will be able to return as they once did to sporting and entertainment activities, because... It's such an important part and fabric of this country, and it inspires people to get involved. So I'm generally optimistic. We've got risks financially as an organisation moving forward. I mean, last year we were staring at potentially a three-quarters of a million to a million pound hole in our budget. We had to revise our budget, and we've ended up getting very close to a break-even position, we think, maybe even deliver a slight surplus. And we've done that through some of the activities that I've spoken about And despite losing our main sponsor that sadly went bankrupt, you know, we've managed through furlough and a staffing restructure, which was very difficult emotionally for everyone, as well as producing meaningful content. 
managed to kind of drag ourselves back to a relatively stable position. But there are risks ahead of us. You know, we've got a budget for this next 12 months that's been signed off. We're projecting that membership will go up slightly from 75% of a normal year to around 80%, but you never quite know. The early signs are good at the start of the membership year. The numbers are up. But we're going to need to work out what the budget looks like 2022 onwards because we're dependent on government funding as well. So our funding profile is roughly 40% membership, 30% government grants, and then the other money through education income, road race license income, sponsorship and education fees. That government funding is only secure for this next 12 months. So we'll be working with Sport England, who have been fantastic over the last 12 months in supporting us, to understand what it looks like for 2022 onwards. You hope there will be support, but you never quite know what's going to happen with comprehensive spending reviews and what have you. But I'm optimistic about the future. You have to be, particularly in my position. That's really important for a number of reasons, isn't it? Of of course it is. And and well done you for all, all of the things that you've put in place. And I I, for one, you know, wish you all of the success uh, and indeed your, your association of members. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you today. Uh, Chris Jones, CEO of England Athletic. Thank you. Take care, everyone. That's it for another edition of the Membership World podcast. Please don't forget to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook. And if you want to ask me a question about a particular issue, then do let me know. Once again, a reminder to hit subscribe. And if you do feel like it, please leave us a nice review because it makes such a big difference. And if you want to take part in any of the membership masterclasses I run or want to get some free content, do register on the Membership World website. Uh, It's free to anyone using membership bodies or communities. Thanks again to our sponsor, RD Mobile, and my producer, Neil Whiteside from Freedom One. Until next time, from me, Gordon Glenister, it's bye for now.